Extreme poverty is talked about like it's permanent, that it can never be solved. But we know, right now, a different story is being written. A story of world-changing kindness. A story of hope. The Convoy of Hope community is making a measurable impact in the fight against hunger, injustice, poverty, and devastation. We're passionate about connecting civic leaders, business owners, churches, and others with vulnerable communities so they can make a tangible difference. In just 25 years, we've served 100 million people. With every warm meal, bag of groceries, and smile from a volunteer, the cycle of hopelessness is derailed a little bit more. But the fight isn't over yet. While we've taken great strides to end extreme poverty, we need your help if we're going to see it eradicated in our lifetimes. Together, let's keep writing a story of hope. Good morning. Great to be with you in Mesa at South Mountain, our new Fountain Hills campus online. We got great stuff going on today. We're so excited uh, to continue our series, Life After Death. What you just saw was a video from one of our Kingdom Builders partners called Convoy of Hope. They're one of our, our key strategic partners, and they're feeding hungry kids all around the world. They're developing uh, the ability for people who are in poverty to, to have their own business. They're training women how they can provide for their families and help supplement family. And they do awesome, awesome stuff, and I've visited some of the orphanages in Haiti where they feed these kids. They're the only source of food for these kids. Uh, we're really proud to be partners with Convoy of Hope. They're one of the, the people the groups that when, when you give to Kingdom Builders, you're supporting Convoy of Hope. That's one of the groups we partner with because they can do things that we can do. We've got an awesome food pantry here at our South Mountain campus, but this allows us to help and love people all around the world. They respond to disasters, and, and we're in a season right now where I've been talking about Kingdom Builders. In November, we're going to have our Pledge Day and our Miracle Offering. So if you're new to the church, we have a lot of new people in our church. Uh, Kingdom Builders is all of our giving above and beyond our tithes, our regular tithes. The church runs out of the general fund of, of tithes and offerings. And then Kingdom Builders is money that goes to expanding the kingdom, building the kingdom. And so it's kind of like a mutual front, a fund of Christian giving. And under that umbrella, we have church expansion. So it's funding the Mesa campus building. Uh, we just renovated our Fountain Hills campus and, and launched that. So that all came out of Kingdom Builders. We added nursery space and expanded the South Mountain campus. That comes out of Kingdom Builders. And then also we have outreach that comes out of Kingdom Builders. So like our Convoy of Hope partners and our back to school outreach that we do for our community, that comes out of there. And then we send missionaries all around the planet and we support them monthly through Kingdom Builders, which is really cool because I know a lot of us, we're not going to get to go and actually preach the gospel in Africa or South America or China or in Russia. But we, you, and you need to know this, you as a church are supporting people who are preaching the gospel in all of those places. So you can go to bed at night and know like, man, I am funding the preaching of the gospel all around the planet in places I'll never go, in some places like I don't want to go, but I'm glad it's happening. And God called someone else to be there and give, and give that word. Um, so I want to encourage you in this 
to pray as a family, uh, those of you who are married, um, pray as a follower of Jesus and ask God, what would you lead me to do? We have these pledge cards around our, our campuses where you can give us your pledge and let us know, hey, over the next 12 months in 2022, I'm planning to give this much to kingdom builders above my tithe. And that helps us to plan ahead and use that money wisely as good stewards. Um, And then on the day we have our miracle offering, I just encourage you to give your best gift of the amount that you're pledging. Some of you could give all of it up front. Some of you could give a a, a percentage of it up front. That just helps us to manage that wisely and make good choices. It's a great day for our church. And and, and I want us to speak to you. If you're new to this concept of giving in church, this is one of the most important aspects of your development as a disciple of Jesus. It's easy to raise your hands and sing. It's easy to say I'm a Christian, but this is literally where we put our money, where our mouth is. You can't fake generosity. You either do it or you don't. And tithing is something I think all Christians are called to do based on scriptural precedent. We should all give that first 10% to God. That's a discipline that we do spiritually. Um, And then giving above and beyond that through offerings or kingdom builders, right, or just being generous to people, that's above and beyond. That's spirit-led, sacrificial generosity. So me personally, I think of tithing as obedience. I think of giving offerings above that as generosity, It's not really generous to tithe. It's faithfulness. That's what it is. Tithing is a Christian duty out of love for the Lord. And generosity, giving to kingdom builders, for example, that's really where you get to joyfully follow the Holy Spirit's leading for you and your family. It's not something you do out of obligation or a guilt trip, right? You know, you've all seen those those commercials where it's like, hungry children and like like dogs in the pound it's like in the arms of an angel for only twenty dollars a month you can help prevent this from any like kind of guilt trip like oh I should do something like while you're eating like you know like Doritos like okay you know I'll give this isn't that kind of thing this is where you go to God you pray and you say like God what would you lead me to do and it's going to be customized for you And where you're at in life. Because the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you as an individual differently than the person who's sitting next to you. For some of you, you can give a huge percentage of your income to kingdom builders. Because God has blessed you so much. You might be someone who says, like, man, I'm going to give another 10% to this. Or I'm going to give 5% above my tithe to this. Or you might say, man, I'm going to give like $100 a month. I'm going to give $500 a month. Or you might be on the other end of the spectrum and, and really be tight. On money, and I just want to encourage you it's not the dollar amount that pleases God, it's the heart of generosity that pleases God. And I want to encourage all of you what I told our church staff uh, because we teach our staff to lead by example. So I encourage our staff don't do nothing, what you do is between you and God, but do something. It might be you just give up one latte a month for Jesus. But I think it's good for you. Listen, Fountain Hill, South Mountain, Mesa, I think it's good for you to be able to say, I give to kingdom builders. I think it's important just to start somewhere. You might say, man, I'm going to get one less night of, of pizza night. Like, I'm going I'm to not order wings with my pizza one time just so I can give $10 a month to kingdom builders. I think that's good for you because it just starts the exercising of that generosity muscle 
in your heart. And, in, and then the Holy Spirit will, one, bless you through it. He'll build your faith through it and enable you to give more in the future. And he'll develop you spiritually through that in a way you can't get developed by just a sermon. Trust me, it's so good for you spiritually. And I, I don't want you to hear me saying, hey, you know, the church really wants something from me. I want something for you. I want you to join your church family in building the kingdom of God. Some of you, it's going to be $5. Some of you, it's going to be $5,000. Some of you, it's going to be, I don't know. It's between you and God. And he's going to speak to you. Whatever he tells you, listen to him and just do what he says. Trust him to bring, to bring it to fruition, to provide, and to bless you for it. Uh, and those of you who have given like that, you know how faithful God is and how he blesses you for faithfulness. Amen? Amen. What a great time to talk about this. We just last week talked about how we're going to be judged for how we handle what we have in this life at the judgment seat of Christ and that our eternal rewards are based on our earthly good works. Not our salvation. Our salvation is not based on works. Our salvation is based on faith in Jesus alone by God's grace. But our reward in heaven is determined to a degree by our faithfulness in this life. So, man, this is an opportunity to put it into practice. And today I'm going to wrap up this Life After Death series by talking about heaven again and the eternal kingdom of God. My goal is to fire up your imagination and get your wheels turning so that you will look forward to heaven. Let me show you a chart of what you have to expect. How many of you guys are, are nerds and you like charts like me? I like charts. So what this kind of depicts is that your life on earth, it gets better progressively for a while. Like, man, when you make it through puberty, that's amazing. Uh, you, you move out of your parents' house, you get your, you get your spouse, you, you start raising kids, and then somewhere in that process, you kind of peak. Let's just be honest. You peak and you hit this point where you say, I ain't as good as I once was, right? Like, and, and then for a while, let's just be real here, it's kind of like a downward slope. Like your body just breaks down on you. You look back and you think, man, those were the good old years. Well, well what you have to look forward to as a Christian is that your future is always going to be better than what you've experienced in your past. When you die, uh, when it eventually happens, you will go to heaven. And, and what I've described as the present day heaven or the intermediate heaven, some theologians call it, it's like the heaven right now where your body goes into the ground but your soul goes to be with the Lord. That heaven experience is going to be drastically better than any good things you've experienced in this life. But then after Jesus returns, he's going to create a, an eternal heaven, a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be even better than the present day heaven. So like, man, when you go to heaven now, it's like better for a while. But then in the eternal heaven, it's just up and to the right, getting better forever and ever and ever. That's what you have to look forward to. Um, and what we're going to talk about today is kind of in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus gives the apostle John a, a little taste, a vision of what's to come. And so we're going to read a lot of scripture in this message. Some of you uh, have avoided the book of Revelation because it seems scary. It's about like, you know, tribulation and beasts and antichrist and like, I don't get it. But let me give you the bottom line. It's that we win. Jesus is victorious and that he's going to come again and eternity is going to be awesome. When Jesus came the first time, his disciples were like, well, when are you going to establish your kingdom on earth that we've been looking forward to? But that's not why he came the first time. The first time he came to build a bridge between God 
and man. And that bridge, it was the cross of Jesus Christ. The bridge closed the gap between God and man. We were separated from him by our sin, but the cross enabled us to be restored to God. So let me give you a little overview of your future. Your future. Some of you have seen fortune tellers, people that will read your palm and tell you your future. That's shenanigans. I'm going to talk more about that next Sunday. Come back for that. Next Sunday on Halloween, I'm going to talk about ghosts and should Christians celebrate Halloween and paranormal activity. All you guys who watch those freaky ghost shows, I'm going to talk to you about that. (laughs) Uh, But let me tell you your actual future right now. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return, guaranteed. Uh, The dead in Christ will rise. So like the walking dead, but not gross and scary. After the tribulation, Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years and Jesus is going to reign on the earth with his people. At the end of that millennial reign of Christ, Satan's going to be released. Like why? Why is, why is Jesus doing it that way? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how he, why he's doing it that way. Satan's going to be released and all, everybody who follows him along with, with Satan, his demons are going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever. The earth that we experience now, the universe around us is going to be destroyed and it's going to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what I want to talk about today. 2 Peter 3.10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. So originally God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. The sky, the animals, the nature around us. And he said, this is very good. He set up mankind to rule over creation. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve literally walked with God in the cool of the evening. They talked with him and they communed with him. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no sickness. All of creation glorified God. But Adam and Eve, because they had free will, God gave them, uh, they used it wrongly and chose to sin ushering the curse of sin into the world, which corrupted everything, our bodies, nature, everything around us has been corrupted by the curse of sin. And so, yeah, the world still kind of works and we're still making the best we can of it, but it's like a car that's been totaled and now someone's still driving it, but it has like a salvage title and it doesn't drive straight anymore and it makes weird noises. It's like a cake you've dropped on the ground. You know, you can scoop it up and still eat it, but it's just not the same. <laughs> and it's never going to be the same. That's why God is going to destroy it all and start over. Yeah. So I think it's important to keep that in mind because we live in a world right now that is obsessed with saving the planet. And I'm all for, you know, hey, if you want me to recycle, like, that's not a problem. If people want to drive electric cars, like, that's cool. Drive a Tesla. They're cool. But this obsession with saving the planet is really about humanity trying to do what only Jesus can do. People can't save the planet. Good luck with that. You can't save the planet. Like it's corrupted by sin and it's not going to be saved. It's going to be scrapped. 
Jesus is going to destroy it with fire and start over with a new planet. And frankly, that's a good thing. I don't want to eat wedding cake that fell on the ground. I want a new cake. So by all means, recycle, drive your electric cars. I'm going to use plastic straws and drive an SUV. I'm not sorry. (laughs) This new heaven and earth is going to be filled with God's righteousness. The Bible says filled with God's righteousness. That's really cool. Because like, think about this. When you go to church, which I, I encourage people to do, go to church. And I encourage you to go every week, by the way. Um, go every week as often as you can. If you're sick, that's fine. Stay home and watch online. But otherwise, go every week. Because when you come to church, uh, there's something special about it. There's something special about being in a room with people who love Jesus like you. And you're worshiping him together. And you're united that way. That you experience something supernaturally that you can't quite tap into on your own. There is a special manifestation of God's presence that you experience when you're together as a body of believers. And what you're, what you're really getting there is like a little, a little taste, a little sneak peek of what heaven's going to be like. Yes. You're, gonna, you're getting a little taste of God's presence, but in heaven it's going to be filled with God's presence and his righteousness all around us. So that, that comforting, peaceful, loving feeling you get like in the middle of an awesome church service like, like you've got right now, you're going to feel that everywhere in heaven all the time, but to a magnitude just exponentially greater. So here, here's why I'm preaching this message today, because we don't think about heaven as much as we should, and we don't expect it to be as great as it is. Here's why. We think we know nothing about heaven, but it's because we don't think about heaven. There are people who are like, well, you know, I would think about it more, but honestly, I just don't even really understand it that much. I don't really know what to think or where to start. But God actually does give us a lot of detail about what our forever home is going to be like. Uh, and, and so the problem is really that we don't put enough effort into trying to understand it. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So we know Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us. And I think there are some Christians that read a verse like this and they're like, well, my mind can't even imagine how good it's going to be. So I, why, why waste time thinking about it? But that's not what this means. What it means is that what he is preparing is even better than what you can imagine. It's better than the best thing you can imagine. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to try to imagine it. In fact, you need to try and imagine heaven. You need that because it helps you to have the endurance and strength you need to continue living for Jesus in this fallen world. In Philippians 3.14, the Apostle Paul wrote, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You need to keep your eyes on the prize. Players in the NFL, they're keeping their eyes on the Lombardi Trophy, right? If you're a business owner, you keep your eyes on the profit and loss sheet. If you're a parent raising kids, you keep your eyes on the prize, getting your kids out of the house someday and getting your freedom back so you can sleep again, right? And Christians need to keep our eyes on heaven, on heaven. We've got to continue to think about it because that's what sustains us in the hard moments of this life. If you're feeling discouraged and beat up, you need to spend some time thinking about heaven. Here's the next thing. We don't think about heaven as much as we should because we don't believe what the Bible says about heaven as much as we should. 
Here's what I mean by that. The Bible tells us a lot about heaven, but a lot of Christians don't believe it. What I mean is the Bible does have metaphor in it and analogies and poetries and things like that. But then the Bible also tells us a lot about heaven that's literally true. And yet there are Christians who I think they don't have the faith to believe Jesus at his word. And so they try to dumb down what the Bible says into meaningless nothingness by making it all metaphor. And the more metaphorical you make it, the less tangible it is. And the less tangible it is, the less desirable it is. So you think, well, well, what's even the point of really looking forward to it? It doesn't sound that great. This goes back thousands of years to philosophers like Plato and Thomas Aquinas. And they kind of started this idea that the physical world is dirty and it's gross and it's corrupt. So heaven must not be physical like that. It must be spiritual and ethereal. And we'll just all float around like globes of light singing psalms and praising Jesus and thinking about God for eternity. And so people kind of have that idea about heaven like it's not real. It's not like anything I know. And therefore they end up not really looking forward to it because it's so intangible. It'd be like if you told a little fish, like, you're about to go to fish heaven, but there's no water, and you won't swim, and you won't have fins, and you won't eat food. Isn't that great? You'd be like, no. It sounds terrible and weird. And that's why a lot of people don't look forward to heaven the way that they should. And there are a lot of Christians, they try to turn all of the Bible into metaphor, even when it's not supposed to be understood as metaphor. There are some metaphors in the Bible, like Jesus, the lamb with seven eyes, or having a sword come out of his mouth to destroy his enemies. That's probably a metaphor. If not, it's really cool. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see that. But we need to approach the Bible with childlike faith. In Mark 10, 15, it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. This is a verse that the Holy Spirit reminds me of sometimes when I start trying to get too smart for my own britches. I start trying to analyze things and over-rationalize things and, and put God in a box constrained by my own human wisdom and understanding. Like, that doesn't really make sense. Or that's just, that's just so fantastical. It's hard to, to actually believe it could be like that. It must be metaphorical. And here's what Jesus says. You've got to approach God with childlike faith. Those of you who have young kids, there's this crazy thing. They actually believe what you say. They just believe you at your word. They're not overanalyzing what you say. They're not assuming what you're doing is speaking in metaphors. They just literally believe you. And, and that's the way we need to approach God. Yes, there are some metaphors, but we need to have childlike faith. There are, I want to warn you about this, especially when you talk about end times and the Bible and understanding prophecy and things like that. There are so-called experts who want to intimidate you into thinking you're not smart enough to understand the Bible yourself. And if you just buy their book for $29.99, you'll know all the secrets. And, you'll, and they'll try to trick you into believing that everything's like a code, a hidden code in the Bible. And there's all these hidden meanings and, and you're, you're just too dumb and simple to understand it. You need them to tell you, right? And that is silly, the, the Lord says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will lead you into all truth and remind you of the things Jesus said and he will reveal truth to you. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. That means everywhere you go, you've got your tutor with you. 
And if you'll just read the Bible and open your heart to God, the Holy Spirit will help you understand it. And just like a kid going through school, the longer you go, the more you understand. You start out understanding the basics and everything you need to know with childlike faith and just keep going. And as you keep going and growing, you'll learn and see more layers of truth over time. But you can understand the Bible yourself. I just recommend read it in a translation that makes sense to you and keep your heart open and be patient. Trust the Holy Spirit. But I guarantee you'll be surprised how much of what people said was metaphorical fantasy is actual literal reality in heaven. That is the eternal kingdom. It is fantasy meets reality. So think about fantasy movies and fantasy novels and sci-fi stuff that we like. Like as people, a lot of us like those kind of stuff. Like you like Lord of the Rings and, and Star Wars and Star Trek and Harry Potter and Chronicles of Narnia and all those. Like we fantasize like that because God put a longing in our soul for something greater than the reality that we know now. That's why we fantasize about a greater reality because God put that in your soul and it's meant to lead you to heaven. So what we do as humans is we create these fantasy movies with CGI and it's really cool like watching a movie like Lord of the Rings. But what God's going to do is he's going to create a fantastic reality and he's just going to speak it into creation and it's going to be real and you're actually going to get to enjoy it for all eternity. How good is that? So you should imagine and dream about the eternal kingdom of God, and you can piece together a realistic expectation. Here's how to do it. you got to read, look, and believe. Read what the Bible said first about creation before the fall of man and the curse of sin. Uh, because God said it's very good, and sin hadn't entered the world yet. So that gives you like a little taste of what heaven could be like. You, you notice they had physical bodies they had work to do that was meaningful and fulfilling. That's something to think about with heaven. In heaven, you're going to have work to do. But whereas in this life, a lot of you, sometimes, sometimes you do jobs you don't really like. Some of you, you have a, a job. You just do it to put food on the table because you're responsible. In heaven, you're going to have meaningful work that you're going to enjoy. Some of you, it'll be what you just do for a hobby right now. You'll get, that'll be your job in heaven, your career, your profession. Some of you, uh, you love your jobs right now. You love your work right now. But in heaven, uh, you're going to actually have the time to do everything you don't have time to do and accomplish in this life. So that's going to be really, really cool. Um, and then you got to do this. Look at the world around you. When you're trying to imagine heaven, look at the world around you and, and notice all the good things in this life. There's beauty. There's good flavor. There's music to enjoy, uh, there's amazing culture, there's good food, nature all around us, mountains, oceans, forests, uh, animals, like a majestic creation all around us. So every good thing in this life that we experience is going to be better in heaven. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, in the truest sense, Christian pilgrims have the best of both worlds. We have joy whenever the world reminds us of the next, and we take solace whenever it does not. 
So when you have like a, a great moment where you see like a beautiful sunrise, you can go, man, this is awesome. If this sunrise is good, imagine the sunrises in heaven, right? Um, if, if this food is good, imagine how good the food's going to be in heaven, right? Uh, and, and then when this world is difficult and sad, you see someone dying or struggling with sickness or there's wars going on or riots or famines, you can just take comfort and know, I'm not going to have to deal with this in heaven. And then here's this thing. Believe what the Bible says about the future. Remember, we got to come with childlike faith. So G, the, the world was created by God, the Bible says, in six days. People debate about if it was six literal days. or I just, I just take God with childlike faith. I think it was six days. I think he created the whole world in six days. Uh, and then here's what he said. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then imagine it now. If God could create this world and all of the nature and beauty and mankind in six days, Jesus left to start preparing this place for us 2,000 years ago. So imagine how good it's going to be. He's been working on it for a long time. He, this eternal city of God that we're going to read about, it's the capital city of the eternal kingdom called the New Jerusalem. It's the largest metropolis ever to exist, and you're going to have a mailing address there. In Revelation 21, I'm going to read through this. You can follow along if you want. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. So the new earth is going to be a lot like our earth now, but one interesting dynamic is the ocean is going to be gone. There will still be big lakes and rivers and waterfalls because we love water, right? All you guys that have boats and you like to... Some of you skip church to go out on your boat. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm getting sidetracked. There's not going to be an ocean in heaven. And one of the reasons why is because the ocean now, it serves a purification uh, process for the world. It purifies the air. Uh, and we won't need that in heaven because there won't be any pollutants. Another thing about the ocean that's being represented here is, is the oceans, it divides people groups and nations. And over history, that has led to segregation and prejudice and wars. And that won't be a thing in heaven any longer. So we'll have water, we'll have lakes and rivers and fountains and, and waterfalls, uh, but we won't have oceans dividing us the way that we do now. And then we see this. It says, I saw in the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, so this new city is compared to a bride on her wedding day. We know for a lot of brides, like, man, she's getting herself ready. She's going to present herself, her big reveal on her wedding day. Got her hair extensions in, all like makeup's perfect. Some of them, it's like the best they're ever going to look. Let's be honest. Not my wife, but a lot of brides. And she's getting ready for the big reveal. And then she comes out and everyone's like, oh, she's so pretty. And, and this is what's happening right now. Like Jesus as a craftsman is preparing your eternal home. And he's working on it. And he's, I don't know what he's doing. He's like chiseling. And he's like installing the surround sound system. And, like, and then it's going to be like extreme home makeover universe edition. He's going to be like, move that bus. And that heaven's going like to come down. The Bible says like from the sky, like, a, you know, reveal that city and it's going to come down and we're going to be there like oh it's awesome oh it's amazing it's going to be so great 
In verse 3, he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. How awesome is that? So like... Great news, we won't have any funeral homes in heaven, no cemeteries, we won't need doctors, we won't need cosmeticians to give us like Botox and stuff like that. Like, because, man, pain, sickness, death, uh, those things are going to be gone. You won't even need counselors because like, there won't be no more sorrow you have to process through. Uh, it's going to be incredible. And the best part of all is what it says, God's home will be with his people. That was the greatest attraction of the Garden of Eden, that God was there. It wasn't the beautiful nature. It was that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And when they sinned, they lost that intimacy with God. That's why Jesus came, to begin the process of restoring that intimacy. And so we've got a partial restoration now, but we're going to have the full restoration of intimacy then, when Jesus actually lives with his people on the new earth. In verse 5 it says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Okay, so we're going to get a new heaven, a new earth, not a salvage title earth. And, and the Bible tells us, like, believe me. Here's what Jesus is saying right now. Write this down, for real, y'all. Like, believe what I'm telling you because it's true. Because there's some people that are like, Ah, oh, it's just... It just sounds so mystical and we like, I don't know if I can believe it. Jesus said, believe me, I'm telling you about your future so you can keep your eyes on the prize. In verse 6, he says, and it is finished. I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. I love this. It's finished. The wars are over. Suffering is over. And now he's promising this is your future home. It's going to be your inheritance that you receive as a child of God. It's an inheritance. means you're legally entitled to it through your faith in Jesus. And nobody can take it away from you. How good is this? So then it gets into some details. And I'm going to keep moving fast because last service I went too long. It says in verse 8, But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, and those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Okay, So all evildoers who have not placed their faith, their faith in Jesus, they're going to hell. And Jesus talked about hell over 30 times. I, t I preached a whole sermon on hell a few weeks ago. Um, and, and so there are people that are like, well, hell's not real. God wouldn't really send people to hell. He says it again and again. Your choices are Jesus, forgiveness of sin, or hell, the penalty for your sin. It's a really big deal. Um, but for those of us who have chosen Jesus, it's also a really good deal. It means you won't need to lock your doors you won't need a security team to keep you safe. You won't need an army to defend you because all evildoers will be gone. There won't, there won't be anyone to hurt you. That's really comforting. 
And then it goes on to say this, uh, verse 10. The angel took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. So here's what we're seeing. We're seeing some stuff that is literally true and has symbolical meaning. Uh, it's literally true that there are 12 foundation stones as a part of this city. It's literally true that there are going to be 12 gates around the walls of this city. But then that's also symbolic. 12 is a number in scripture that represents perfection and God's perfect power and authority in this city, corresponding with the 12 tribes of Israel. Let me just explain this a little bit. Something in the Bible can be literal and symbolic at the same time. So, for example, the high priest in Old Testament times would wear this decorative plate on his chest that had 12 stones on it. It's a literal plate that had a symbolic meaning. The, st the stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. How many of you are married and you wear a wedding ring? It's a literal thing that has a symbolic meaning. You tracking? So there are things like that in the Bible. They're literally true and they're symbolic and metaphoric. So that, that's, that's what we see here, especially when we talk about end times. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Okay, so this is cool. The new Jerusalem is shaped like a cube, high wide, long, same distance. Uh, the measurement here is 12,000 stadia, not stadiums, stadia, which would correlate to about 1,400 miles in our distance. So this city is 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles high. That's a big city. Let me show you a picture of this city. Like if it existed on our current earth, this is a scale of how big it would be. It's massive. It would stretch from San Diego to Little Rock, Arkansas, and from Canada to Mexico. So the new earth might be way bigger. I don't know. But if it was this, this is how big it would be by scale on our current earth. Now, the fact that it's a cubed shape is interesting. When you go back to the temple in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was shaped like a cube. It was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. You can read about it in 1 Kings 6.20. And so think about that. The Holy of Holies in the temple is the place where God met with just the high priest once a year. In the New Jerusalem, Jesus is going to live with all of his people all the time for eternity. It's the same cube shape, but a much better reality that we're going to enjoy. So like, this is where I think it's fun to kind of use your imagination. We know it's like about 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. You can see it's really big. But just imagine with me uh, some of the details here. The ground floor of this thing would be 2 million square miles, eight times the size of Texas. Uh, so I don't know if this is actually how it'll be, but I'm just kind of using my imagination here, which is what you're supposed to do. Imagine if every story of this city had a 30-foot ceiling. It would have 
room for 250,000 stories. That's how big it would be. If you explored this city, if you explored one city block per day, it would take you 500 billion years to explore the whole city. How cool is that? People are always like, oh man, eternity, it kind of sounds boring. Like, won't you get bored after a while? Like, no, you're going to have a lot to do. <laughs> That's good. Oh my gosh. So then like, imagine this, right? You think about being crowded in a city. A lot of cities today, like they're crowded, they're dirty. This city, uh, imagine, like, so some, some historians estimate that there's been 100 billion people uh, born on the earth throughout all of history. So let's just imagine for the sake of argument that 10 billion Christians, uh, followers of Jesus, are going to live in this city. That's enough space for every single one of you to have 50 square miles to yourself. Isn't that crazy? Like imagine having a 50 square mile house in New York, right? Like how much would that be worth? It'd be amazing. So you're going to have tons of space, not going to be crowded at all. Uh, and then it says this, the angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. So that would correspond to about 216 feet thick. But when you see 144 cubits there, I want you to see that it's 12 times 12, which is a way of, of representing that it will be perfectly secure. And the walls of a city in ancient times represented the strength of a city and the safety of a city. So this is a way of God communicating, this city is impenetrable, it's safe, it's secure, nobody can hurt you here. And we don't always appreciate that because a lot of us, we grew up, you know, we didn't have to deal with a world war or somebody invading us and carrying off our loved ones as captives. But most of humans have dealt with that kind of danger. And so this is incredibly comforting. It says in verse 18, the wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The gates, the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. Okay, so what is this communicating to us? The finishes are going to be amazing in this place, right? Like those of you who love interior design and you like, you like to watch like Joanna and Chip, you're like, oh yeah, more shiplap in heaven. It's going to be gold and pearls everywhere. And, and so what we're being shown here is incredible wealth and prosperity for all of the citizens of God's kingdom. And, and that's so cool. In our church right now, we got rich people, we got poor people, we got everybody in between. In heaven, everyone's going to be prosperous and have abundance beyond imagination. And, and it gives us perspective because in this life, we tend to cling to money and worry about wealth so much. Like you're always kind of, it's in the back of your mind, you know, how much is in my checking account right now? Am I going to be ready for retirement? How much does that cost? How much does that, how much do those braces cost? What? Like it's always on your mind, but in heaven, you're not going to have to worry about that ever again. You're going to have plenty. And it helps you, I think, to live generously and open-handedly in this life. When you think about money in this life, yes, it's important. Yes, it's easier when you have it than when you don't. Let's just be honest. But when you think about money and how, man, it comes in your hand and it leaves your hand and is gone. But, but when you can take that money and you can invest it in God's kingdom and help people find Jesus 
and be saved for all eternity, that temporary investment results in an eternal impact. And when you know, man, money is a temporary issue, but in heaven I'm going to have every. The streets are going to be lined with pure gold. It helps me to live generously. It helps us to be generous now and give to build the kingdom of God. Here's what it says. In verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Let me talk about this for a second. So it's telling us that the city will be illuminated by Jesus. You won't have to turn on the lamp. You won't have to flip the lights. Like, turn, you're always yelling at your kids, turn off the lights, that costs money. In heaven, like, the light will just always be on. And it comes from Jesus. It's the perfect power source, totally renewable, forever. And, and this is meaningful in multiple ways. In our life, uh, especially if you grew up maybe in a dangerous place, you know nighttime is kind of when things go down. Nighttime is, is when shady stuff happens. My encouragement to you as your pastor is like, get off the internet at 1 a.m. Nothing good happens after 1 a.m., right? Go to bed. <laughs> like nighttime is, is when people get mugged. It's when all kinds of crazy. But in heaven, there is no darkness. In heaven, there's no shadiness going on. Um, we know that the light of God fills the city, and the, that, that's how we, like, there's righteousness all around us everywhere. Uh, the gates never close, meaning people can come and go freely. Historically, you might go to a city at night, and the gates would be closed to you, and you'd be tired, and you, you would need a place to stay and food to eat, but you just couldn't get in because it was like, oh, sorry, gates are closed. You'll have to wait till morning and just survive till then, but you'll never be shut out of God's holy city. Even Disneyland closes at night, like the happiest place on earth. This place never closes. It says the kings and rulers of nations will enter this great city to bring glory and honor to God. I think that scripture indicates that uh, the new heaven and new earth will be filled with various communities and cities and nations it says in Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And in Luke 19, Jesus told a parable about faithful servants and those who were faithful with what God entrusted them with. He said, you will be set to govern over 10 cities. You'll be set to govern over one. So I think what he's showing us is that there will be people who are faithful in this life with what God has given them, and they will be set in leadership roles to govern in the next life. People who have leadership gifting and were faithful will get to exercise that gifting. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam, subdue the earth and govern it and cultivate it. And so you see part of God's original design is cultivation and development of creation. I think in the eternal kingdom, mankind will be able to cultivate and develop cities around the earth, maybe even in the universe. We, re we, we see novels and sci-fi movies about colonizing planets. It's very possible that in the eternal kingdom, the new heaven and new earth, God will send us out to, to, to colonize planets. And we can come back and visit the new Jerusalem whenever we want to see our friends and hang out with Jesus. Like, I don't know. I'm just imagining what it could be like. And whatever it is I imagine, it's all really good. You tracking with me here? It's really good. And then I'm, I'm going to keep going here. It says in verse 27, 
Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, whereas now, sometimes evil people trick their way into your lives. That's why we have to do background checks at, at, at jobs. That's why we have to do background checks for even people we let work in our nursery. That, that's why you have to really check someone out when you're dating them and getting to know them and like kind of like dig, dig into their past because you don't really know who you're dealing with. You work with people, you do business with people, and sometimes you find out later, that guy's a total shady operator. Uh, he tricked me. He took advantage of me. Right? You're never going to have to worry about that in heaven. No one's going to abuse you or use you. The only people there will be people whose names are written in the book of life. Listen to me. Whether you're at Mesa, South Mountain, Fountain Hills, online, you need to make sure your name's written in the book of life. The only way you can have your name written in that book is believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It goes on to say this in chapter 22. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. Water is so important and essential for life. Uh, Jesus' disciples in the Middle East would have really understood that. Water was vital for life there. Uh, we kind of get it, living in Arizona. What it's like, you know, how would it go if you didn't have access to water here? It would not be good, right? We need water and, and we want air conditioning too, by God. We want it. In heaven, there's going to be a flow of water coming from the throne. And we think back to Jesus telling the woman at the well, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. Jesus offers continuous refreshment, cleansing, and fulfillment. It flows from his throne, and there will probably be a literal river, I, I believe that, flowing from his throne that will break off into fountains and streams and waterfalls and lakes, and you can drink of it, you can swim in it, uh, right? And you never have to worry, like, what's in this water, right? Like, is this coming from SRP? It smells so bad. Like, what? You know, it's going to be pure, crystal clear. It's going to be so good. And then we see this in verse 2. And each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Okay, so this term tree of life is a collective term, like the term avenue or river. It's not just one tree, but an entire park of trees alongside the river going down this main street of gold. How great is this going to look, right? It's going to look awesome. But then this tree of life is an ongoing source of physical life. The tree of life was mentioned in the Garden of Eden, it's talked about in Revelation. It's the same tree of life, we're led to believe, that was in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of creation. It was taken to the present day heaven, and it will come down with the new heaven and new earth uh, in the new Jerusalem. Adam and Eve, they were designed by God and intended to live forever, but it was contingent on them continuing to eat from the tree of life in the garden. When they were cast out of the garden because of their sin, they were cut off from the tree of life, and that's when death entered the world. Uh, so then we know that the tree of life is going to be present in the eternal kingdom. And this is cool. The Bible says it's going to produce a new crop each month. 
God, aren't you grateful God loves variety? You know, like, he didn't just give us, like, one type of food to eat. Wouldn't that be a bummer if all you ate was, like, the same porridge every day, like, all day? God developed variety and flavor, and the tree of life is going to have different crops. On. I don't know, in heaven, maybe you'll be at the cafe. You'll be like, oh, I'll take a salad. We'll just put whatever's in season right now on the tree of life, you know, so throw it on there. But you're going to have variety, and it's an ongoing consumption from this tree of life that leads to eternity eternal life. In other words, we're going to continuously depend on God, even in heaven, for life. It's a principle that is sustained throughout all of eternity. We depend on God and have eternal life from God. Our bodies in heaven will be physical. They'll be glorified. So perfect, without corruption. They will be a perfect version of your body like you have now, just better. It'll still be you, though. You'll still be male. You'll still be female. Uh, Sex is part of your design. Your biological sex is part of your design and how God created you to be either a male or a female. Contrary to what the world says, it's not fluid. It's not just based on how you feel that day. It's based on how you were born. And it's set, it's established, and your body in heaven will be male or female. Notice that. When Jesus rose again and people saw him, nobody mistook Jesus Christ for Jessica Christ. They were, they were, excuse me, miss, oh, Jesus, sorry. They knew he was a he. And in heaven, if you're a he, you'll be a he. If you're a she, you'll be a she. One of the things people always ask about is, will there be sex in heaven? Meaning like, The action, the act of sex. It's a good question. Um, Here's what Jesus says. In heaven, they'll be neither given in marriage. They won't be married. They'll be like the angels. So you'll still be male or female, but you won't be married the way you are in this life. People are always like, man, but I love my wife. I love my husband. Um, I can't imagine living without them. You'll still know each other. You'll still be friends. You'll still have a great, special intimate relationship. Some of you are like, I can't wait to get away from my husband. I can't wait. I'm not judging you, right? Like, but Jesus said they won't be married, and we know he designed sex to be enjoyed in marriage between one male and one female, okay? That's a subject for another sermon. But so when, when we read the Bible, we're led to believe there probably won't be sex in heaven. If there is something like sex, God intentionally didn't tell us about it in the Bible. And my theory about why that is, is because we humans are sinners. And if he said something about sex in heaven, you can bet we would take that and twist it and use it for evil now. Right? So that's just my theory. But because God designed sex originally in the Garden of Eden and called it good, we know that if he's getting rid of it, he will replace it with something even better. Okay? And, and I know some of you are like, what? Like, you just got married. You're newlywed. You're like, what? No sex. Like, well, I just started having sex. Like, you're single. And you're like, please, no. So just trust me on this. <laughs> If God removes it, he'll replace it with something better. And because we're limited humans in our thinking, we have a hard time conceiving of that, right? So let me just make some analogies here. Like if you had a little kid, like those of you who are raising little kids, maybe you got like a little, a little son, 
uh, you know, he's eating his M&Ms, and you're like, hey, share your candy with your friends. Well, why? Because that's, that's loving to share your candy. But as your kid grows up, he's going to learn there are even better ways to show love to people than giving them M&Ms. C.S. Lewis told a story like this. Uh, he said, a little boy asked his dad about sex. And the father explained, it's the highest form of physical pleasure we experience. The little boy asked, does that mean you eat chocolate while you're doing it? <laughs> the dad said, no, when a husband and wife are having sex, there are better things to think about than chocolate. And the little boy said, I can't imagine it being so great if there's no chocolate involved. <laughs> And the dad said, well, son, you'll just have to wait and someday you'll see, right? So whatever it is, we know it'll be better than what we've experienced now, amen? The overall theme of heaven is that every good thing in this life will be better in heaven. And all the bad things in this life will be absent in heaven. The new Jerusalem is going to combine the beauty of nature with all the majesty of amazing architecture like nothing we've ever seen. Imagine like the really cool architecture of our biggest cities, but with like lakes and waterfalls and forests all intermixed with it. There won't be any pollution or crime or poverty or sirens or homelessness or traffic accidents or garbage. The city will, will be full of awesome relationship and culture and music and, and, and fast Wi-Fi everywhere, I think. And... <laughs> You won't have to deal with pickpockets or gangs or drugs or prostitutions. People who, who love nature will have access to nature. People who love the city will get to enjoy the city. It's going to be awesome. I'm coming to a close with this. Verse 3. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lamb of God will shine, or the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. So that's the bottom line. We will reign with Jesus as royalty forever. We're going to see Jesus face to face. Keep your eyes on the prize because heaven's going to be awesome. When you're going through a hard time, remember it's temporary. Heaven is your home. When you're enjoying good things in this life, remember heaven is going to be even better. So as you love the Lord, as you sacrifice for the Lord, as you love your neighbor, as you help people in need, no man, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm going to experience my reward in heaven. This earth is not my home. When there's hard things going on in this life, I don't get overwhelmed and discouraged because I know this earth is not my, own, my home. Heaven is my home. Heaven is your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I'm closing with this, my last piece of encouragement to you is make sure you go there. There's no point talking about heaven if you don't go there. This sermon doesn't matter if you don't go there. There's only two places you can go, heaven or hell. It's not a trick question. It's not a difficult decision. Everybody who accepts Jesus goes to heaven. Everybody who rejects Jesus goes to hell. Make sure you go to heaven. That's my, that's my closing. Like, wh how, why is this sermon being preached today? What's the practical takeaway? The practical takeaway, go to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Accept Jesus. Yeah. Don't go to hell. <laughs> so hey, Mesa, Fountain Hills, South Mountain, online. Let's bow our heads. If you need to accept Jesus today, pray this with me. Just say, God, I need you to save me. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose again. I want to follow and serve 
Jesus, for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me, God. Thank you for accepting me as your child. And thank you for giving me a purpose to fulfill in this life. With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, on all of our campuses, if you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand up right now, just between me and you and God. That's awesome, 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 great. Anybody else? That's me. Good. Hands going. Five, six, seven hands. In Mesa, eight hands. Anybody else? Awesome. Nine. That's great. Fountain Hills, South Mountain. We got people accepting Jesus going to heaven today. Let's give God praise.